It's great to be back in the country and back on, I'm not on Tulsa time yet. I've been up since 2 a.m. actually. And uh, we were in Greece last week on the Steps of Paul uh, tour with 30 of our new friends from Battle Creek Church. And in fact, I see some of them sitting together and close to one another that never sat together before. And uh, that's what happens when you share experiences like that and, and walking in the places uh, mentioned in, in the New Testament and, and uh, where Paul was in, in, uh, uh, imprisoned in, in a cave for three weeks, where he was shipwrecked, where he preached the Mars Hill message. What an amazing trip and, and spiritual high. And uh, I, I would encourage you, if, if we, and we will do this again sometime in the future, to join us on a trip like that because of what God does in it. Uh, on Wednesday, I believe it was Wednesday, I have no idea actually what day it is at all uh, other than we're sitting here on Sunday morning. And Wednesday, we, we did kind of this trip share service in the lobby of the hotel. And uh, it was as if the Holy Spirit sat down on, on that meeting and, and we're all just talking about what God did in our lives and uh, our favorite part and, and the, how the scripture came alive in this day or that day. And we're just sharing with one another. And then we left and uh, my family went and ate at a, a Michelin star restaurant, which you know is part of my love language, like Jesus and food and family and, and, and somewhere <laughs> in, in, in that order. And uh, had one of the most amazing meals we've ever experienced in our lives. And you also know I love a bargain. It was a Michelin star restaurant that we paid $30 a head for. And it was one of the best meals uh, we've ever experienced. And we're walking back through the beautiful streets of Athens as a family and into the hotel. And we had planned it because, like, you know, I'm a planner. And we're all going to bed at 9 p.m. And we'll use melatonin because we're getting up at 3 a.m. to make our way to the airport to get. And we're starting to transition and in back into Tulsa time. And I'm like military about it, right? And about 45 minutes into our sleep, we got a call from the young man who was staying at our house and said, uh, a pipe burst and your whole house is raining water. And, and uh, I, I wear this little whoop thing that, you know, monitors my heart and all of that. And, and uh, the next morning, my phone was just saying, what the heck happened to you? All reds, your heart rate, your resting heart rate, your strain, your, your, your recovery is bad. Like it was like, maybe you should go to the ER. And uh, so we walked through that. Then we traveled 27 hours home and uh, walked into our home and, and just saw just a mess. And right in the middle of the mess uh, w was a bouquet of flowers with a card underneath it. And, and when we read the card, it said, uh, we, we've been here to help. We will be here to help going forward, your people. A and the disaster relief company people called me and the insurance adjuster called me and, and said, who are you and who are these people? And, and what, what is going on in, in your life? And what I would tell you is it's called biblical community. That our community group came while we were gone and pulled our underwear out of drawers that water was pouring into, took mattresses apart and, and, and began to move things out. And, and then the last few days as we've been going from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. just in water, uh, they were with us. And, and 
we have seen not only a good shepherd over the last few days that we're talking about out of John chapter 10, we've seen tender sheep and the flock being the flock. And if you're new to church or, or you've been around church a long time and you've never found biblical community, I just want to say to you, you're not doing it right. And you're not experiencing all that Jesus died to provide for you. I can't say it any stronger. I've been saying it for years. I, what, what can't happen is us get to this moment in a chapter like this in our lives and then go, you want to be my friend? Can you come over and help uh, uh, empty my closet? That had to have happened for months and years leading into the tragedy. You say, well, I don't have a need today. You will. You will, you will, you will, and you will need a community group. You will need people who share your faith to come around you. And even if you don't have a need today, could you just look at it as if somebody needs you? In a community, somebody needs a relationship with you. Somebody needs a friend. And so I just want to tell you, as we're staring somewhere between six weeks and nine months of being displaced from our home, that's a big discrepancy. The wife in the contracting group said six weeks. The husband said nine months. And, and, and uh, one's over-promising, one's under-promising, and, and somewhere in between. And we'll walk through it, and God's going to help us. By the way, the adjuster is Egyptian, and he's Muslim. And uh, you just need to pray that he's going to come to Christ. And, uh, and how God works that in, out in Tulsa, I think there's three Egyptians in Tulsa. And... and And so just be praying. Who knows what God does through relationships in times like this? But what I do know is it's a whole lot more pleasant journey when people are with you. And I just want you to pray today as we talk about this and you go out into the lobby, find a group, find a group. Let me just pastor you and, and command you today. <laughs> find a group. What's uncomfortable? Find a group and get plugged into a group and watch what God will do to accelerate the joy and the fulfillment of your life as you walk with Christ. I want us to pray together before we jump into John 10. And uh, if you would, just, just bow your heads and just kind of hold your hands open. And John, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Josh Welshaw has agreed to preach for me today, uh, dealing with what we're dealing with. He, he's going to preach. Let's pray for Josh, okay? So would you just say, Holy Spirit, we believe in you. We believe in your ministry. We need it today. Rain down in our hearts. We pray for Pastor Josh today. As he shares the word of God, the living word of God, let it change my life and help me to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. morning church so glad that you're here with us today in fact just can we take a moment here at broken arrow welcome everyone joining us at all of our other campuses and those watching online with us today 
We're so glad that you're here, and, uh, and yeah, my name is Josh. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And before we dive into the message today, I did just want to take a moment to share a bit of a, a personal family update with you. You know, many, many of you have asked about the journey that my wife and I have been on. And, and if you're new today, if you've maybe not heard any of our story, I'll rewind just a little bit. Our, our church just completed this two-year initiative where we all said we're going to go all in. And this was about being all in in our discipleship and and in our finances. And as a church family, we all asked God what he wanted to do in us and and ultimately through us. And and for my wife, Sarah, and I, as we really sought the Lord, we we felt led by God to give, uh, to commit to give our adoption fund, which we had kind of set aside in our budget as a result of the journey of infertility that we've been walking for the last several years. And and for us, it, it was a tremendous step of faith to say, God, we want to expand our family, uh, but we're going to surrender the the resources that we've set aside, which I think in many ways actually represented our plans and and our ways, and to say, God, we're just going to simply trust you. And and about a year into the initiative, uh, we felt led by God to open our home to foster care, which again was another huge step of surrender for us because we wanted to expand our family permanently. And obviously uh, that's not the primary goal or purpose of foster care, reunification is. But another step of surrender, we said, God, we're just gonna trust you. And even if it's just to love and and to care for a child for a season, we will, uh, which uh, transparently was a a very difficult prayer to pray. But through foster care, uh, many of you have gotten to meet Jeremiah who was placed with us to love and and to care for. And and so many of you have have prayed for us and have encouraged us in this journey, which truly has been a greater blessing and a greater joy than Sarah or I could ever possibly express. And after a year of loving him and caring for him, the door has opened for us to permanently welcome him into our family through adoption. And so... As we begin this year, uh, Jeremiah is officially Jeremiah Welchel, and uh, we are so excited, and, and we just, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for uh, everyone who's been with us in this journey, and I, I truly am so grateful to be a part of a church family. Uh, that is so passionate about adoption and being involved in serving foster care families. And uh, it it has been a tremendous season. And so thank you. And and I don't know what season you may be in. This isn't part of the message, but if I can just encourage you, whatever step that it is that God is asking you to take, as hard as it may be, it will always be in your best interest, whatever that step is. And so I hope you'll take it. And and let's go ahead and just jump into the sermon uh, today. So we've been in this series, The Shepherd's Way, where we've been studying John 10 together. And so if you have a Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and open it to John chapter 10. And if you missed the last couple of weeks, uh, here's where we're at in the story. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. In fact, verse 22 makes an interesting note, if you see it in your Bible, that it was at the time of Hanukkah. And we don't have time to address all of that context here today, but maybe even this later this week on social media, we'll do something to talk a little bit about that. But, but Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's going head to head with the Pharisees, who were the prominent religious leaders uh, for Judaism at that time. And these Pharisees were considered to be the experts of God's law. But what they had really done was add their own laws to God's law. 
And so instead of leading people, instead of shepherding them in God's way, they burden people with rules and traditions that were contrary to God's way. And so Jesus, in the midst of this setting, he steps in and he proclaims, I am the good shepherd. He sets himself up against those religious leaders and declares, my way is different than their way. He says their way, their voice, it will lead to frustration. It will lead to exhaustion. It will lead ultimately to destruction. But he says my way, the shepherd's way leads to real life. And at the heart of this chapter is our key verse that we've been looking at where Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And pastor taught us that that word life in the Greek is the word zoe, which is the abundant life. It's the full life. It's, you know, it's the God life, meaning the, the life that God wants for you. And as we've been studying this chapter, we've seen that Jesus, in verse 3, we've seen what he's doing, that he's calling his sheep to come to him. That's what he's doing in this passage. And then we've seen why he's doing it, because verse 10 tells us there is a real enemy that wants to kill us and destroy us. And Jesus says, I want you to have real life and have it to the full. That's why he's coming. But we've also looked at how Jesus does this in verse 11, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so we've seen what, we've seen why and how. But today, we're going to look at what the implications are for being a part of the flock. And maybe today you're here and you're at this campus or maybe another campus or watching online and maybe today you're exploring what faith in Christianity is all about. And if that's you and if that's your story, I just want to say you picked an amazing week to be here because you're going to get to see what Jesus says about those who choose to follow him. And so let's go ahead and get a running start into our passage and begin with verse 14 together. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now, if you remember last week, this is one of four times in just eight verses where Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep. Anytime something is repeated that many times in a passage this short, it should catch our attention. And the implication is that the sacrifice of the good shepherd is really the focal point of John 10, that Jesus gives his life so that his sheep can have life. And Jesus tells us exactly who his sheep are, that they are the ones who know him, they're the ones who are known by him. And, And so we see this intimacy between Jesus and his sheep, just as there is between Jesus and the Father. But when we get to this next verse, It's almost as if Jesus takes a little bit of a detour here in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. Now this raises a number of questions. You know, what sheepfold is Jesus talking about? Who are the other sheep? And and why is it that he must bring them as well? What, what is it? Now, if you remember back in week one, we talked about the sheepfold, and Pastor Alex mentioned that this sheepfold is not heaven. There are, there's no thieves, there's no robbers in heaven like there is in this parable that Jesus is saying, and so it can't be heaven, and, and the sheepfold is not salvation, because the sheep in this story are going in and out of the sheepfold. And so contextually, the most natural interpretation is that this sheepfold is Judaism. 
That's what the most natural interpretation would be. And so when Jesus says that he has other sheep, what he's referring to is non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles in Scripture, the outsiders, you know, the outcasts from Judaism. And he says, I must bring them also. Don't miss the significance of those five words. They are so, so encouraging. It means that when Jesus was standing in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, he wasn't just addressing this Jewish crowd. He was thinking about you. Jesus wasn't just concerned with the people who were already there. He was concerned with all people everywhere. And, And so I don't know what you may be going through in this season, but Jesus wants to bring you. He wants to bring you out of all that is bad. He wants to bring you into all that is good. Now, in your Bible, you may see a cross-reference here to Isaiah 56, verse 8, meaning there's the connection that takes place between this verse and that one. And if you don't see that in your Bible, I want to encourage you to write down Isaiah 56, 8 in the margin of your Bible right next to verse 16. And here's what Isaiah says in this passage. Isaiah says, For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Now, when Jesus is alluding to this part of Isaiah here in John 10, what we see is he's actually stepping on some toes. He's wading into some deep waters because the Pharisees would have known what else Isaiah said in this chapter. The first part of Isaiah 56 is all about what this verse alludes to, that God's plan for salvation, it extends to all people from every nation, every tribe and tongue. But the second part of Isaiah 56 is a critique of Israel's religious leaders. In fact, it says that they are blind. It's interesting that if you go back to chapter 9 of John 10, or of John, that Jesus says that the Pharisees are blind, that they are shepherds who lack knowledge and understanding. And so Jesus, when he's quoting Isaiah, when he's referring, he's taking a bit of a shot at the Pharisees, but he's not just trying to get under their skin. He's making a messianic claim. He's declaring that he, as the good shepherd, will fulfill Isaiah 56, 8. He says, I'm going to fulfill this, but not in the way that you as the Pharisees and the religious experts are going to expect. You see, they would have looked at this passage in Isaiah through the lens of Judaism. They would have said that in order to join God's flock, it meant coming into their sheepfold, adhering to their traditions and their laws and their regulations. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, if we continue reading in verse 16, we see that Jesus says that they, this is the other sheep, that they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the sheepfold is not what determines the flock. In other words, it's not about your family background. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your social status or your ability to influence. It's not about what you know or how moral of a life you live. The flock, according to Jesus, are the ones who listen to his voice. Now, that word listen in the Greek is the word akuo, which means to give careful attention to or to heed. In fact, if, if you're married or, or maybe really in any kind of relationship, maybe you grew up with parents who expected obedience uh, in your household, here's what you know. You know that there is a difference between listening and listening, 
All right, by the way, this is not the moment to nudge the person sitting next to you. Okay, and, and here's, here's the difference, okay? So the first listening is hearing. The second listening is heeding. So hearing is when you audibly hear someone or something that requires a response, like when a parent tells their child to do the dishes or when your smoke detector starts beeping, which in my experience only happens at 1 a.m. I don't know if that's anyone else's experience, but you hear something that requires some sort of response. Now, I am actually completely deaf in my left ear, so it can be hard for me to audibly hear at times. Sarah is convinced that now that we have a baby, that I use it to my advantage, that I don't hear that Jeremiah is crying in the middle of the night or didn't hear that he has a poopy diaper. Uh, and, and the truth is, I'm not ready to confess that at this point. But the first listening, the first listening is when you audibly hear. The second is when you heed. Heeding is when you actually do the dishes. It's when you actually change the battery in the smoke detector. And so Jesus, he's saying, my sheep are not the ones who know and follow the law. They're not the ones that are just listening in the distance. Jesus is saying, my sheep, they are the ones I know. They're the ones who know me. And they are the ones who listen to my voice, who heed my voice. In other words, Jesus' sheep do what it is that he commands just as Jesus listens to the Father. In fact, a couple chapters later in John 14, Jesus says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. If you look at the next two verses in John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus tells us that he lays down his life. Why? Because it's what the Father commanded. And so Jesus makes the choice to align with the Father's command, to heed his voice. And in doing so, what we see is there's this intimacy and this, this oneness between the Father and the Son. It's the same intimacy and the same oneness that Jesus is inviting us into. Just as Jesus is one with the Father, we're called, we're called to be one with him. And here's what that means. It, it means that if you are one with him, and if you are one with him, and if you are one with him, and if you watching online or at a campus are one with him, if I am one with him, then we are all one in him. Verse 16 emphasizes that there is one flock. That is the shepherd's way. In fact, Jesus didn't just call us to be one. He prayed for it. We see this in John 17. Just before Jesus would lay down his life, here's what he prays. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, which would have been his disciples at that time, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. So he's praying for us. And here's what he prays. I pray that they will all be, would you say it? One. That they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that, in other words, here's why Jesus is praying for oneness, would they be one so that the world will believe you sent me. He goes on to say, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. In other words, our unity as a church, as, as a family of believers, our unity is a part of our testimony. It testifies to the fact that Jesus was indeed sent by God. 
It testifies to the love that God the Father has for us. But not only is unity a part of our testimony, it's a part of our security. I mean, we saw this last week that there is an enemy who wants to attack and scatter the flock. And the enemy knows that if he can separate us from the flock, if he can separate you from the flock, then you're easy prey. Because when you are separated from the flock, listen, it means that you're separated from the shepherd. And so what does the enemy do? He uses deception as a tool for division. He uses discord to promote disunity. And and then he will lie to us and he will tell us that when we disagree with one another that, that we should just disassociate that we should just leave, and, and that's not the right way. It's the easy way, but not the right way. And, and hear me, the shepherd's way is not always easy, but it is always for our good. You know, as I, I've been studying this passage, I think one of the aha moments for me came when I realized that oftentimes when I read John 10, verse 10, I just read it on its own. That Jesus came as our good shepherd to give us this good life, this Zoe life, and that is true. Jesus did come to give us a full and abundant life, but verse 10 doesn't stand on its own. It is also connected to verse 16. And so Jesus came to give us a good life and Jesus came to make us one. In other words, here's the aha moment. There is a connection between our unity and the abundance of life that we experience. Now that doesn't mean It doesn't mean that every member of the flock is going to agree on every issue every time. And that's okay, uh, because there is a difference between disagreement and disunity. In fact, as we're talking about this, let me just give some simple definitions here. So a disagreement is a difference of opinion or perspective, which as you know, and as you've experienced in your life, this is something that's very natural. In fact, not only is disagreement natural, I would say that it can actually be a very healthy thing because disagreements are one of the ways in which iron sharpens iron, as we read about in Proverbs 27. When disagreement, when this is navigated well, it actually brings us into conversation with one another. It it leads us to personal reflection. It causes us to consider where is it that my thinking or my perspective may be a little bit skewed or blurred. In fact, I would just suggest that within the body of Christ as a church, the goal should never be to try to eliminate all disagreement. A, again, I think it can be healthy, but B, it would just be an impossible task. For instance, there is a lot that Pastor Alex and I agree on. However, I strongly disagree. Uh, In fact, not just strongly, we had a very heated Uh, conversation not too long ago that was very strong. I strongly disagree with his view on In-N-Out Burger. (laughs) I love In-N-Outs. You get me a three-by-three with grilled onions and no tomatoes, you cannot tell me that's not better than McDonald's, okay? And so I strongly disagree with him, and I've realized I'm not going to change his perspective. He's not going to change mine, and that's okay, I still have the utmost respect for him. I still trust his vision for our church. I still trust his leadership and his theology. I just don't know that I trust his palate, okay? (laughs) And and so that's disagreement. And and that is okay for us as a church. But here's the difference. Disunity, this is a fundamental or foundational divide. Meaning that there is a schism 
that will permanently separate and isolate. And the reason that it's a permanent separation is because you can't build on two different foundations. That's why Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees was so heated. Because Jesus' teaching created a foundational divide. They pointed to their laws and to their traditions as the way of life. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm pointing to myself as the way to life. In fact, we see the tension as we continue reading in verse 19 together. It says, when he said these things, the people, which would have been all of the Jewish people that were there at that time, they were again divided in their opinions about him. Now, this is the third time in John's gospel that the crowd was divided. And some of the people, they saw the miracles that Jesus performed, and and so they believed in him. But then there were others who they heard what Jesus said, and they heard what he claimed, and they said that this man must be possessed by a demon. I mean, talk about two completely different responses. One says this is of God, and the other says this is satanic. And the reason for such polar opposite responses is because Jesus, and we see this even today in our culture, Jesus doesn't just offer a different opinion. He offers a different foundation than the Pharisees were on. And so what are we to make of all of this as believers, as the church? When we talk about the shepherd's way, what does this mean? For those of us who are choosing to follow Jesus' voice, and here's really the bottom line that I would give you today, that being one with the good shepherd means being one with the flock. You see, the invitation of the shepherd is to follow him as one. And since that is the invitation, church, it should not surprise us at all that our enemy will do everything he can to sabotage that. And so we must fight for unity. And as we are fighting against the enemy, we have to understand that his goal, the enemy's goal as we're fighting against him, is to get us to turn 90 degrees. So that instead of fighting against him, we're now fighting one another. And it's happened over and over throughout church history. You know, a great example of this would be in some of the secondary doctrinal issues. For instance, some, some people are really passionate about the theology of the end times. And, and maybe you're in that camp and maybe you love debating. Are you premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial? And, and many people, when they hear, hear the term millennial, you're thinking of someone who's in their 30s between Gen X and Gen Z. But those debates are not about generations. They're about the reign of Christ and when Christ will return. And, and when it comes to some of those secondary doctrinal issues, not primary ones, but secondary ones, listen, it's okay to love studying those things. And I hope you do. But we have to remember in the body of Christ that there are Bible-believing and God-fearing Christians that hold different opinions on those debates. And that's okay. As long as we are united on what's really important, which is this, doesn't matter what millennial view you hold, you believe Jesus is coming back. And so we stand in the midst of our disagreements with unity around what really matters. Another example would be politics. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't engage in politics. But listen, Jesus' flock, the body of Christ, existed before there was a Democratic or Republican or Independent Party. The prerequisite for Jesus' flock is not your political party. It's whether or not, according to Jesus, whether or not you follow 
his voice. So regardless of your political persuasion, we can still as a church stand in unity regardless of where you stand politically and say, hey, we believe that there is a ruler who is above every other ruler and that ruler is King Jesus. And that is the thing that's gonna unite us as a church body. And so we must follow Jesus as one. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're going to agree about everything at all times, and that's okay, because on the foundation of Christ, when he is the foundation, there is room for some disagreement. But hear me, on the foundation of Christ, there is no room for disunity. When you allow disagreements to become a reason for disunity within the body of Christ, here's what that means. It means that you have elevated your opinion or your perspective to the same level of authority as Jesus, which is idolatry, by the way. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. And so being one with the good shepherd, it means being one with his flock. And maybe you're here today going, well, that sounds great, but how do we do that? What does that actually look like practically in our lives? And so in your Bible, go ahead and turn uh, later into the New Testament into Ephesians chapter 4. Because I love how the Apostle Paul draws out the implications of being one here. And the context of this passage is instructions for believers. The Apostle Paul is writing to you and I as part of the church. This is not how followers of Jesus are to interact with the world. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that, but this is not that. This is a moment in which he is giving instructions for believers on how we are to act towards one another. And so let's go ahead and jump in. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. He says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, Because of your love, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Why? For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and Father of all who is over all, who is in all, and living through all. And so how can we be one with the flock? How can we guard ourselves against disunity? We'll go back to verse two and and let's highlight some of the ways that Paul instructs us. Here's the first command that he gives us. He says, be humble and gentle. Be humble and gentle. You can have convictions. You can have opinions. You can have perspectives, but they must be held in humility and shared gently always, which is a struggle for many, myself included. But humility and gentleness, here's what's so important to realize, they are muscles that can be built, regardless of your personality, regardless of your upbringing. These are things we can all grow in and mature in as followers of Jesus. Humility is built when we listen, and gentleness is built when we care. And they go hand in hand because caring is informed by our listening. And so how do you build those muscles? Well, here's one practical suggestion for you. Ask more questions. In fact, just take a moment. Think about the last time you found yourself in disagreement, whether it was with someone within the church or maybe another close friend who's a believer. Think about that moment. How many questions did you ask? Did you truly seek to understand or did you seek to win? 
You see, pride will always build walls, but humility is what builds the bridge. And the most humble and gentle people I know are always asking questions. They're always seeking to understand. And and so that's the first command that the Apostle Paul gives us. And and here's the second. He says, be patient. What does that look like? It's making allowance for each other's faults. And we say it all the time here at Battle Creatures, that we are the perfect place for imperfect people. Here's what that means. It means that things are messy here because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And we all need grace. We are called to forgive just as we've been forgiven. In fact, I think many times we're tempted in our faith to treat it as if it's just some vertical thing. You know, we think as long as I'm good with God, then I'm good. But over and over in scripture, we see that faith has a horizontal axis. I mean, just think about the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6. Jesus taught us to ask. He says, God, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We're to pray, forgive us as we have forgiven. When we follow the shepherd's way, we must embrace his agenda, which is to lay down our lives, is to lay down our rights for the benefit of others. In fact, not only are we to be humble and to be gentle and patient with one another, but ultimately, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, make every effort to stay united in the Spirit. In other words, as far as it depends on you, make every effort. Being patient means extending grace. It's forfeiting our rights for the benefit of another. And I love how one commentator says it. He says, in order for us to have patience, we must renounce the tyranny of our own agenda. Don't be content with division. Don't be content when there's a fractured relationship within the body of Christ simply because you're not there with them anymore. In fact, maybe you're here today and maybe you came from a church with people who truly love and and follow Jesus, but maybe you had an experience where you were deeply hurt or deeply wounded. Or maybe you had a a painful experience with another believer. Perhaps it was a friend that betrayed your trust. Maybe it was a relationship where there were boundaries that, that were broken. If I can pastor you for a moment, I don't know what your story is, I don't know all that your experience entails. And and please hear me, I'm not excusing sin. But here's what I know. Jesus laid down his life so that we would be one. And I know that healing is a process, but forgiveness is a choice. And it is a part of making every effort for unity within the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that that means you need to go back to a church where you were hurt. I'm not saying that every follower of Jesus deserves your complete and undivided trust. But if you allow bitterness, if you allow cynicism, if you allow resentment to take root in your heart, it will rob you of the abundant life that Jesus wants for you to have. Remember, verse 10 and verse 16 are connected. And being one with the good shepherd 
It means being one with his flock. Would you bow your heads at all of our campuses today and and allow me to lead you in a moment of prayer and reflection. Maybe you're here today and, and you are a follower of Jesus. You know that he is your good shepherd, that you are a part of his flock. Would you take a moment to ask God, is there a relationship within the body of Christ that you need to mend? Is there someone in your life who you need to forgive or that you need to reconcile with? Would you ask the Lord, have I allowed an opinion or a preference in my life to become something that divides? Have to remember the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. He wants unity. He wants wholeness. Maybe ask the Lord today, is my life marked by gentleness, by humility? Am I making every effort to fight for unity within your body? you're praying and receiving from the Lord, maybe you're here today and you're realizing in this moment that Jesus isn't your good shepherd, that you're not actually listening to his voice, that you're not a part of his flock. And if that's you today, here's the good news. Jesus laid down his life for you. And it's his sacrifice that unites all of us who choose to follow him and who choose to listen to his voice regardless of your backgrounds, your social status, regardless of your pedigree or your job, your finances, your influence, all who follow the good shepherd are part of the same flock. Jesus came so that you could have an abundant life. In that abundant life, Jesus said, I am going to buy it with my own life. Scripture tells us that the one Father God gave his one and only Son who gave his one and only life so that we could live by his one and only spirit and together be one. So if that's you today, I wanna lead you in a prayer of joining the flock. Praying is just simply talking to God and and you're not gonna pray alone. You're gonna hear men and women across all of our campuses praying as an encouragement to you in this decision. But would you pray out loud and, and just simply say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. But today, I ask you to be my savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my savior, and my forgiver. And in the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer today, I am so excited. It is the best decision that you have ever made. And and I would love to pray for you, God. I I pray right now over every person here at, at Battle Creek Church, those watching online, God, I pray that they would experience tremendous unity with one another. 
And God, that even beyond the walls of Battle Creek, that, that all who are united under the banner of Jesus would come together to let our world know that, that by our unity, there is a testimony of your love. God, we are so thankful for the way that you protect us and the way that you encourage us as one body. And so God, would we strive to that end? Help us to receive your love and to live it out in our lives, in our community. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, can we put our hands together and celebrate with those who made a decision today?